Hey man, get ready for Film School Fridays where I'm just going to talk about filmmakers and the movies they make that I love every week. And uh, with uh, with Jake, with Luke, uh, with Vinny, with my friends. I'm saying them like they're rock stars. They will be by the time you listen to this goddamn podcast. But uh, if you want to hear more of that Kevin Smith, and who the fuck doesn't want to? Uh, if you're like my mother and you're like, my God, I can't get enough of this guy's voice. Come on, join us over at That Kevin Smith Club, man. ThatKevinSmithClub.com. I do a morning show five days a week, Wake and Bake, man, where I just literally wake up, smoke weed, and just talk at you and shit. Uh, if, if you're looking to throw a few uh, bucks my way for this free podcast you're about to enjoy, jump on over to That Kevin Smith Club uh, and join up right now, man. Be a clerk, a mall rat, a fun employee, or a yoga hoser. That's right. I made the highest level of fucking my least popular movie. That's how I roll. ThatKevinSmithClub.com, ladies and gentlemen. And now, the debut of Film School Fridays. is in session for film school fridays man i'm your host kevin smith i'm jake s weissman so jake uh works uh with me here at uh, the office and um him and luke are huge fucking movie nerds kind of like myself and uh part of the joy of uh working in uh in business is is uh it attracts people that like the things that you like about a medium Right. I mean, there are people out there who are just like, I'm in it for the fucking drugs and the dick and the pussy, whatever the fuck. But you meet people that I tend to meet them uh, and work with them uh, who are there for the passion. Nobody would mind getting rich, but everyone's there first and foremost because they love film as a medium. Film has changed their lives, touched their lives. That's their the parlance in which they speak, um, the preferred currency in which they trade. So the. uh you know, the older one gets, uh, the more one, especially when you're a creator, you make a bunch of shit and you, you know, you, you, I deep dive on pop culture, you know, on Fat Man Beyond, particularly on like the Marvel movies and stuff. But, uh, you know, before there were Marvel movies, which what a dark time it was, there were, you know, I had to like other things. And I was just a fan of cinema in general. And I think I pretty much still am, obviously. But the original incarnation of the show is we talked to kids who were actually in fucking film school and stuff. And uh, not just kids, but like adults and whatnot. But uh, for this incarnation, we're just going to talk fucking movies. It's going to, you know, bullshit about flicks. For example, this is born out of a discussion that Jake and I had maybe yesterday about uh paul tom sanderson's latest movie yeah uh licorice pizza if you haven't seen it see it it's going to be up for all sorts of awards this year jake is a big pta guy correct yes in, in order for a podcast to work you gotta go deeper than one word responses my friend <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> otherwise i might as well be alone here yes kevin i very much like pta i've been uh following him uh since i mean my first one in the theater was 
Punch Drunk Love because I was 15 years old. Had and you seen Boogie Nights prior to that? You know what? I don't know if I had seen it, but I was a big fan of Drew Scriptorama as a kid. <gasps> so when I, I remember couldn't, that site, right? Oh my so, god, they had the Dogma script. Yep. Back in the early nineties, all your shit, man. Yeah, yeah. Before that was how. I mean, I I never blamed. At first, I thought it was cool. I was like, oh my god, somebody gives a fuck about a movie I haven't made yet. Uh, and where did they get that script? Right. But then, like the religious people used that script and that site, yeah, to attack us. I remember one guy oh. particularly, like, was like, <laughs> "We read the script on Drew Scriptorama," and Drew Scriptorama kids. I don't know if they still exist, and if they do, God bless them. But like. Drew Scriptorama existed on the internet at a time when you could be like, oh, I did the internet. It was right. fun. And hit, you literally meant you hit every fucking site. It was like binging <laughs> on a television show. You're like, I hit every website. It was fucking great. Uh, what next? So they were early adapters of, of the medium and early movie buffs. Right. Going like, hey, man, here's this amazing communication tool. We're going to use it. To fucking put scripts up because yeah. we're script fucking nerds. So I spent a lot of time on that site. And I was a filmmaker by the time that site launched. It wasn't like I was a young neophyte hoping to get into the business. I was already fucking a bona fide filmmaker. Sure. I would still go to that site to read John Hughes scripts. Because I had never had access to a John Hughes Owen script. Owen Brothers before. scripts or Alien. Like Just, I mean, it's the only way to get better, right? Is and, to read other people's stuff. And nowadays that's fucking simple. Like, you know, you can Google somebody's script. You can buy a book, yep. go to a library. Like, you can see any screenplay one. Sometimes you get to read a script before the movie even fucking comes out. Um, but back then, you did not have access. Like, I remember the way that I accessed scripts back in the day was if I went to a, a Comic-Con, there'd be invariably one dealer with a box of fucking scripts. Like, right. that's how I, I read Silence of the Lambs before the movie came out. That's where I got a Batman three script by, by, um, what are their names? The fucking two people that wrote Unforgiven and then the movie didn't wind up happening. Really? Oh, with the fuck? It had Maltese fucking penguins in it. Like it, <laughs> that was the, the mystery at the core. Um, and then they canceled that movie. So like I used to buy scripts at cons and then Drew Scriptorama introduced us to the notion of like, oh, here, here's a place. And then yeah. many people, you know, I, I'm not going to say they fucking copied him, but they came after him and did the same thing, putting up scripts and whatnot. Sure. But what a glorious time you just harken back to. All right. So you read. I'm a very specific age yeah. where. So I'm born in 87, mm. which means I want to watch R rated movies and I'm not necessarily allowed to. So before I watched Clerks. I read it on IMDb quotes. The fuck. And we were like, what a weird way to consume the movie. And first. me and my friend Dave, <laughs> that's what we would do. We'd sit there and just laugh. Jizz mopper. Oh my God. We're fucking 12. Like in many can't... ways, <laughs> it's preferable to looking at clerks because when you see the words on the IMDb, they're clean, you know, uh, presented <laughs> on the same background as everybody else. And so you're judging them literally just on those words. And then the moment a picture gets in, that's what gives motherfuckers a right. chance to be like, this ain't cinema. Oh, no, that fuck that. It's, you know, but clerks, what a weird. You're the first person I've ever met who's like, I got into clerks through the quotes on the IMDb. I got into clerks yeah. to be fair uh, <coughs> because a the clerks trailer was on something mm -hmm. and yeah, Pulp Fiction. I wasn't watching Pulp Fiction, though. So, was like, I don't know what 
Miramax flick or whatever I was watching, maybe like, maybe it was on some Coen brothers movie or something. You know what I mean? Like I have no idea. Copy. Um, and then my older sister, Hannah is just the right age to be like, cause she is born in 77. So she's 10 years older than me. And Copy. I remember her talking about your stuff and like your stuff is the naughtiest of the naughty. Like it's the, it's the most insane. It's so weird to think about. I'm so soft now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but wait, let's keep it on PTA. So when, Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. so what's your first experience with PTA then? You're fil- essentially what Jake's getting at, and we'll learn more about Jake as, as the show proceeds, um, is you were a film buff Always. and you were not able to go see some of the Paul Thomas Anderson canon in theaters based on your age. Right. And the first one you did go see was... Punch drunk love. Yeah. But when did you fuck with the other ones? Like, when did you see a Boogie Nights, a Hard Eight, a Magnolia? It took me a long time to see Hard Eight. I remember a friend my age saw Magnolia and told me about it, and I was fascinated by the idea. Mm. So we rented it, and I watched it with my folks, and I think I was 12 or something and like that. that movie's, it's R, but it's I wouldn't very, call it a hard R. But it's, a, it's an adult. Adult. It's an adult art, yeah. You know, like the stuff that Tom Cruise is talking about. The yes. whole I mean, all of it is just like Respect the cock. Right. I used the, to work at the That's right. You had to sit in front of your parents while Tom Cruise said, Tame the cunt. Y- yes, sir. Where they're like, We're turning this off. <laughs> and my mother <laughs> you know, my mom doesn't fuck like that. <laughs> uh they're like, I can't handle the truth. And like, that's a completely different time. Totally Cruise different. Movie. And it's also like it's a three hour movie. Yeah. You know, I I rem- <clears throat> I don't want to go too off topic, but I remember being 14 years old and being like, dad, can we please rent pie? And then we watch pie together. And he's like, oh, you like the artsy fart shit. And I was just like, you did like the artsy fart shit. I mean, I was young and it, it, pie it is, struck is a, me is a nearly impenetrable movie for no. those that really aren't into math whatsoever. No, it's about like Bible codes and, yeah. and manipulating the ec- yeah. ec- ec- economy for God. And shit. It's really <laughs> cool. Yes. It's, I'm not saying it's not cool, but like, of all of his stuff, what's his name? Darren Aronofsky. Um, that, you know, that was the breakout. Right. But probably the least accessible. Maybe People have even, a hard time with the fountain. Maybe even more so than than Mother. I still haven't seen Mother. I I mean, you know, this is where a bunch of people fucking like hang up on this podcast. We're like, fuck him. He's an idiot. I enjoyed it. My I thought lady, it was fucking so ballsy. <laughs> like I incredibly really ballsy. It. It, yeah. it was like, you know. I, I'm not, I, I don't have to defend the storytelling. He, you know, it's his movie, his right. story. But in terms of like presentation, in terms of like execution, in terms of like sheer fucking like, well, fuck, there's that's that's a movie no one's ever gonna fucking make <laughs> except him, right? Yeah, that definitely fucking uh, takes the cake. But you're right, the Fountain is a pretty. I don't, I don't know. The Fountain to me was more accessible. It's like, all right, we're same guy many times. I think uh, I love the fountain very, very much. Mm. Um, I'm one of those guys that cares more about his esoteric shit from the beginning than like the wrestler or black Swan. Mm. Um, there's something about the fountain where I'm like, this is just, I've tried. I remember being an age where I was trying to write scripts and every single time it would just end up being the <laughs> fountain. <laughs> You're like I'm going after that fountain audience, really and they're like, want, it's "I don't know if you ever paid attention fuck. to box office history, but what fountain audience?" You're <laughs> like, the, "They're there, they're primed." The I only problem them. with the fountain is that it's 100 <coughs> percent humorless. 
And uh, I appreciate humorless films, but I don't fuck with them. Me and Luke were just talking about that, like def- defining comedy versus drama. And you're stuff. absolutely right. It's humorless, but I would say it's earnest. Oh my god! That like that that to 100%. me is like. It's like when you you know you meet people in life, and some people are like, "Hey, man, come see, come saw, whatever fucking happens, man." You know, fucking day late and a dollar short, like that kind of <laughs> attitude. And then there, you know, the Oscar Madisons, yeah. And then there are the Felix Ungers type personalities and stuff, and you know, who are like very fastidious and like, no, this is this and that is that, and everything has its place, and this is the presentation. That's you know, Darren Aronofsky, Chris Nolan to me, like, yeah. I'm definitely more of the Oscar Madison school of like, you know, I probably shouldn't be here and stuff. I'm throwing spaghetti against the wall, uh, not only to see what sticks, but to dry it as well. But And those cats are, you know, keeping the apartment neat enough. It's two different things because... Most people listening are like, bro, you're not even in the apartment I, with Felix I and Oscar. I disagree. You're, <laughs> you're fucking, uh, you're their buddy from down the street or a cop friend or a guy who popped by for what episode? You're the gateway drug, dude. You're the guy, <laughs> you're the fucking, you're the guy who gets you in. And then, you know, there's something to be said for these incredible frames. These guys that want to be Kubrick. I get it. I right. get it. I get it. I'm an Hal Ashby guy. I'm a John Cassavetes guy. Oh my God. John Cassavetes just turned on the fucking camera and made it. And so it's, it's just two different ways of going about it. Truth. I feel like licorice pizza goes more Cassavetes than, um, than like just these incredible shots. I think he does a good, I think I like his movies because he feels that shit out and he likes just kind of the look of things he uses. I don't know. We agree on certain, um, like production design choices and shit. I like that bare white brick that uh, Cooper Hoffman's sitting in when he's waiting for the cops, you know? Mm. Like, there's just something about that that's very 70s about it. That shot at the beginning where he's he's just, like, just following them, that opening shot is fucking nuts. This, oddly enough, like, when I think of Paul's stuff, uh, you know, I think of, um, I think of films that are very... Um, uh, composed sure um you know uh, sometimes the moving shots whip pan into a push and stuff like that sometimes a long push in um as in tom cruise and magnolia when he's just like i'm, I'm quietly judging you and you just watched magnolia don't get and into that don't watched. don't fucking don't i'm fucking my bad my bad. about doing a show bitch <laughs> you gotta lead to that <laughs> you're, that's the what pro. you're the pro who the fuck that's am what i they're sitting around waiting for they're like get to the part where you watch magnolia no i just it's it's if you've just watched it i just literally watched it so it is um what was i talking about though fuck um he's very composed very composed um this licorice pizza felt you know more off the cuff i noticed he was one of the dps yeah he started doing that with phantom thread so that means he's running around with a camera on shoulders. This movie is incredibly underlit. <laughs> or it's incredibly lit. And then in post, they fucked it. Everything. They, I don't mean muted fucked it up, it. but they muted it and made it look like a 70s movie and stuff. But it did have a more visceral, from the hip, docu-feel. The whole time I was watching it, it's probably because it's set in the valley, but mm-hmm. it's also because of the look. And it's also because of the almost documentary nature of the film. All I could think about was one of my favorite films in the entire world, The Bad News Bears. 
which was set two years, three years after Licorice Pizza Pizza was set, but shot in the real 70s. PTA makes a movie that looks like it could have been on a double bill or playing, not a double bill, but in the right. same fucking a drive-in, one at 7 o'clock, one at 9 o'clock. Yeah. It looks like a 70s movie. Sometimes you get these filmmakers who are like, who fetishize yes, making the thing look like the thing. You're like, we just made Clerks 3, and in Clerks 3, they make Clerks, right? right? So like at points, we make a black and white present day version of an old movie, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and Lee Ron, our DP, was like, all right, man, like, what do you want to fucking do with the footage from the, I mean, when you, you want to make it, talking about doing some cool technical shit to it. And I was like, that's just, if it's black and white, that's fine. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but the grain and all that. And I'm like, it, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, <laughs> now, to a real filmmaker, that kind of shit would matter. That'd be, that'd be part of it. Like, oh, they'd be like, oh, that fucking, that's. But you would have talked about that before you shot it. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. It's not like it, I, I didn't drop a bomb on him in post. It was in pre right. when I was like, well, no, that won't be needed. <laughs> I was like, we'll just shoot on red and take the color. I see. Out. I see. He and actually wanted to shoot on film film or? Well, there was at one point a discussion about that. And I right. got a buddy who works at Kodak uh, who's always like, you got to join me and Chris <laughs> and Quentin and Paul and you know do the film thing yes and then he made Sean a really Baker. decent pitch this time around because he was just like um w they're shooting a fake movie in the movie just shoot the fake movie on on film on kodak right which would have made sense if the movie was set in the 90s right set where it is there's no way those dudes would ever make the more expensive choice to shoot a film you know, Randall's 50 almost. So he's not like a 18 to 23 year old kid who's like, you know, we got to fucking shoot film. Right. This is a guy who just lived through a heart attack and he's just make he's happy he's making a movie at all. The fact that they're using a red camera, like, is even far fetched. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where are these fuckers going to get be a, a red black camera? magic pocket? Probably. God, probably. Or a fucking <laughs> That's iPhone. That's what I shot my shit on. <laughs> uh, or an iPhone. But the Lee Ron was like, look, an iPhone's going to look silly. Like, these guys are making a movie. Let's give them a camera. So they got, a, they got a camera. So I can't then take that image shot on a red and everybody sees a red who knows what a red is. Like, oh, I know what the image of a red camera looks like. We're already cheating by being like here's your camera pov and it's black and white which is not the way it is <laughs> in real life <laughs> so you know you're using cinematic language to tell a fucking story that's big enough that that is lying enough for me right i don't need to then be like like at one point lee Rome was like there's a ten thousand dollar process that we could put this through where it'll really look like the clerk's footage but i'm like but that wouldn't make sense as much as i would love that that wouldn't make sense because they're making a movie in 20 fucking 21 right and you know if, if your red camera gave you an image of what you're talking about we should produce you'd throw it out or you'd be like give me a new camera it's broken <laughs> there's something wrong with it i was like if we just get to black and white alone this story's done so that's me as the filmmaker and that's sure. not just lays i'm like that's just practical paul is the filmmaker particularly in this instance where he's like i'm gonna make a thing that looks like the thing yeah so it's not only gonna be set in that era and have the vibe of that era and the production design is going to look like that era is going to look like literally you saw it in that era commit committing to like when i make a flick i talk about how the story doesn't begin when the movie starts or end when the credits roll story begins now 
Like, as I keep talking about Clerks 3 long before anybody sees it and mm-hmm. stuff. And then the story never ends because I'll be talking about Clerks 3 till the day I die. Same way I've been talking about all the other fucking movies I make. It's up to you, the storyteller, to keep that fucking story going. What it occurs to me, like Paul was doing, is is a kind of version of the same. Uh, but not, you know, the way I do it where I'm online hyping it up and shit like that. Um, fuck, I lost the thread of the phantom thread. Too stoned. God, I had a good point. Oh, well, that's God. Let's Just get the to the experience movie. of Licorice Pizza, like, because he did the pop-up. He did, um, he kept it a real secret and changed the title and all this stuff. Um, and then really made it an, an experience. His rollout was pretty cool <coughs> this year. And I mean, look, if you live out here and you're anywhere near the valley, yeah. you would think this movie was fucking Star Wars. Oh, sure. The amount of billboards, uh, as as Jake mentioned, there's a pop-up. They did a Fat Bernie's uh, pinball. pinball Emporium uh, as a pop-up right on, I think, Ventura. Right next to the theater. Um, you know, they're, uh, MGM, I think they're putting it out, spending some fucking money. And the, even the movie is is going to definitely make get awards. I think it's doing well at the box office right now. It's a movie that could actually cross over. Like to a mainstream audience, because right. it's like, hey man, love is love, don't matter what era. It's and this accessible. Is a weird love story. It is accessible. So, in a good way, very good way. Um, so I that you know I got the Oscar screener for it, and I was like, all right, like I'm gonna watch this. But before I watched it, you know, I said to Jen, I was like, you want to watch this the new PTA movie? I was like, it's all about the valley, and that was Jen's way. And she's like, what? I, you know, she just loves this area. So she's like, oh, I'd love to see a movie set in the past. I was like, set in the past, too, 1973. So what? <laughs> oh, my God. And so I was like, before we watch this, I think I should go back and watch Magnolia. And she goes, why? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. It's his two Valley movies. I mean, look, fucking Boogie Nights is a Valley movie as well. But, like, it, there, it just feels like a part of a thing. Yeah. I, I was, before I dive into this, I want to dive back into that because historically, for those that don't know, um, one of the, my my uh, most one of the stupidest things I've ever done in this life, something a modern day Kevin Smith would never do. Modern day Kevin Smith never tells you what he isn't like. It tells you screams from the rafters and cries about what he likes mm-hmm. and loves, but will you'll never hear like I fucking hated that. It's a piece of shit. It's a good mojo. There's no point. You don't right. need to. You, you want negativity, motherfucker? Open up your laptop or yeah. your phone. Like there, you will find no end of people who want to shit in the mouth of whatever fuck. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you about the shit I like and stuff, and I'll suffer in silence with the things that I don't <laughs> fucking like, or I'll tell my loved ones. I got a wife. You think I sit here and be like, "Are you fucking kidding me with this uh. piece of shit?" <laughs> So, you know, and some people are like, well, be authentic. I'm like, it's not being authentic to tell you the things I don't like. It's being an asshole as far as I'm concerned. You don't need to know what I don't like. Right. Especially if it's not like, you know, like, look, I I went through four years of a presidency where everybody in the world was like shouting their displeasure and shit. And I'm like, look, I I get it. But like, I'm not going to fucking do the same thing because everyone knows I'm pretty liberal or extremely fucking liberal. Everyone knows where I stand on the political spectrum. You don't need one more person being like, this fucking sucks. I'm going to try to be the person that's like, all right, well, here's what's cool or here's what's good or yeah. here's something fun or, you know, to take your mind off this fucking, how about this? Um, 
And sometimes that's about movies and shit like that. So I'm, I'm like, you know, I, years ago in 1999, when Dogma came out, it was the same year Magnolia came out. I was a big Boogie Nights fan, which came out a couple of years prior to that. Boogie Nights came out after Clerks. New Line put it out. But it was awesome. Somebody made a movie about porn. I was like, it's fucking nuts. And it was really good. It was like an Altman-type movie. Right. So through, in the world of porn. Fucking Burt Reynolds is amazing. The whole fucking cast is amazing. Um, you know, there's a whole scene where fucking John C. Riley and Marky Mark are like, how much can you bench? That was so fucking real. Like, I lived in that world, man. Um, where guys said shit like that to each mm-hmm. other. So, um, and then that world happened to be the world of porn and, and sex was treated so fucking casually. And if you look at my work, obviously I'm a big fan of fucking sex, um, to an almost infantile juvenile degree. And here was a movie that like treated sex so in such a mundane fashion. And in the midst of it, some people are able to find love while fucking, you know, it's beautiful. So Magnolia is coming out and it's out and it's getting blown. Everyone loves Magnolia and all the critics. And it was fucking fantastic. What a, what an achievement. And, you know, dogma was not getting the same kind of love. And so there I, there I was reading my message board, um, at viewaskew.com. And somebody was like, Hey man, what'd you think of Magnolia or something like that? And, you know, a modern day Kevin Smith would just move the fuck on, you know, probably not even respond to that post. But fucking young, stupid, juvenile, jealous, um, you know, fucking angry young man, filmmaker, Kevin Smith, who, you know, only it, it was probably around the time he was realizing, oh, there are others like me and they're way better at this than me. Like. Because for a year there, I was the only guy on the planet doing <laughs> no. You know, it was a weird perspective. And then suddenly I was faced with like, you know, uh, uh, like I, I made a movie with fucking huge movie stars and is massive and, and uh, in terms of scope and story and fucking like the certainly was no shrinking violet. Fucking world knew about the movie based on the fact that religious people got pissed about it and stuff. And, you know. I was like, where's my Oscar fucking talk? Like a jealous bitch. Yeah, it's true. I could say that now. So uh-huh. I respond to this person's. Well, I have a question for you. Go ahead. Before you get into that. Go ahead. You are also coming off of uh, an Indie Spirit Award for Chasing Amy and yeah. writing. And Did that have something to do with it? With me thinking of awards? And just kind of being like, where the fuck am I in all of this? Me, Really, it was like, where am I? How come they're not fucking talking about awards for dogma? That's what I was like, so like baffled by. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, if you gave me awards for clerks and you know, you shit in my mouth from all rights, but you gave me awards for chasing Amy, like dogma is like way bigger and better than both of those films. And that was a young, you know, 29 year old fucking Kevin Smith. Like, and, and don't get me wrong. Like dogma was received incredibly well. Right. But when compared to somebody else, that's something an older Kevin Smith would never do in this day and age. Look over the fence. Back then, I looked over the fence all the time. You're like, well, what are they getting? Right. As opposed to just minding my own business in my own backyard and enjoying the fact that I got my own fucking backyard. Instead, I look over the fence and be like, what are they getting? You know, they were, it was so fucking stupid and, you know, crazy because we're all in a, creative business and we don't really compete right 
But I had people that I was like, ooh, Ed Burns. <laughs> <laughs> like he was my Lex Luthor. That's like, so goofy right now. Bro. For you to say that right now, that's the goofiest shit. Bro. <laughs> I, these are things I could admit at age 51. Wow. But to be fair, I've been admitting these things since I was like 35. Just maybe haven't done a podcast uh, about it. But where did Goodwill Hunting fit into that? Goodwill Hunting was prior to that. And, you know, I don't get jealous of Goodwill Hunting because Goodwill Hunt. I, I, I mean, your name's on it. And also, like, I'm the bridge to it happening. Right. So, like, yeah, it stinks when Ben doesn't fucking thank me and Scott when he when he wins first a Golden Globe and the fucking Oscar. But it's not like, you know, that those pieces of shit. Like, those are my boys, man. I love that script. But you're coming off of Chasing Amy. You're coming off of Goodwill Hunting. I was. It's That's why I'm sure some people listen to them be like, why the fuck would you think you made an awards movie? Like, I never thought I was an awards person, but my whole career started with an awards movie. Clerks right. won the Filmmaker's Trophy at Sundance. It won the Prix de la Jeunesse at Cannes, International Critics Week at Cannes, as, mel- as well as many other film festival like fucking awards and shit like that. Uh, Mallrats, obviously, no, just got kicked in the nuts and wouldn't fucking become a thing for 10 years. Um, Chasing Amy, though, like gets a standing ovation at fucking Sundance. Joey gets nominated for a Golden Globe. Uh, my buddy who ran the fucking Academy, worked at the Academy, was like, I, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I I think you should know because I think it would make you happy. And I was like, all right. And he was like, you were one slot away from best screenplay. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. He's like, you had a lot of votes, but like, you know, the five that got him. Have he, you ever said that before? I think so, someplace. It's, you know, what, what so is that cool. worth? Let's, you know what I'm saying? That, that's I You mean, don't tell that story because it's like, what kind of currency is that? I was like, you know... Think about it this way. (laughs) Well, think about it this way. What are the, how many, you know, they pick four or five nominees. Right. You and me didn't make the list together. You know what I'm saying? Like fucking, we're in the same fucking boat, except I made a whole ass movie and didn't get a best screenplay nomination. You were what, 12 (laughs) and didn't get a best screenplay (laughs) nomination, but we're all equals when it comes to that. right? Right. So I, you know, the, the, I was in an awards world. I worked at Miramax. It was an awards-driven company and stuff that was also branching over into the world of commercial. So, you know, Dogma was, as we were making it, it, it was finance because it was like, this is going to win awards. Because, right. and, and look at that cast and blah, blah, blah. So as, you know, the fucking uh, year was ending and, like, all the chatter was about Magnolia and none of the chatter was about Dogma. And this person asked this question on the views cube message board instead of just like, you know, rolling on this is, I, I, you know what I should, if I'm going to do it, you can do it. Well, if I should, I should get the exact quote yes, rather than fucking, uh, approximate it. You know, if I'm going to bite the bullet, Kevin Smith, <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson, you got it. I have a very conflicted relationship with young Kevin Smith. He's my hero because he got me here and look at the life I get to lead. But like, cringe, bro. Uh. Sometimes he says, <laughs> he says some shit. I remember this. Who the fuck did I remember? Think he was? This is when I started getting into you. So, like, I do, I had no skin in the game, but I remember this. And maybe it's because of Magnolia fan whatever in jay and silent bob strike back 
um, oh, this that is, made yeah. me go backwards oh, to it. Oh, right? and, and when you, I you dead you cemented it into the view universe. Yes, and I did that, <laughs> and I wasn't like fuck you. That was more. That was me already going. What an asshole <laughs> I was. Like, oh my God, Movie I'm being shoot. embarrassed. This apparently, based on his Entertainment Weekly article, um, it says updated January 27th, 2000. So we came out, uh, the, uh, yes, this all tracks. I was out here in Los Angeles. We were working on the Clerks cartoon at this point. So me, Jen, and baby Harley are living at this rental place um, not too far from here, actually. And then I'm going into Walt Disney Studios to work on Clerks cartoon with Dave Mandel, who now you know went on and did Veep and and stuff like that. Um, and Scott and our and Chris Bailey, who is our lead animator. So when I read this, I am reading the message board at this rental place. The guy's name is Merrick. We were living at Merrick's rental place. So I'm living at Merrick's rental place, came home from working on the cartoon. Um, it's late December, early January, or just early January. It's got to be early January because we came out after Christmas. So th if this article is January 27th, then it's got to be somewhere around there. And I read this fucking thing, and, you know, this apparently is what I write. Ready? Remember, the question was this, like, hey, did you watch Magnolia? Just simple. <laughs> it wasn't going like, hey, what it it wasn't, hey man, can you fucking burn Magnolia for me? It was like literally like, hey man, did you watch it? This is what fucking angry young Kevin Smith wrote. Mind you, with no good reason to be angry, he was getting everything he wanted in life, except the attention <laughs> that Paul Thomas Anderson was getting for his, let's admit it, far superior film, Magnolia. <laughs> Here we go. Young Kev Smith. Get ready to cringe. My asshole's so tight. They sent me an Academy Screener DVD this week. I'll never watch it again, but I will keep it. I'll keep it right on my desk as a constant reminder that a bloated self uh, sense of self-importance is the most unattractive quality in a person or their work. And then I, apparently I also likened it to a cinematic root canal. Whoa. Whoa, bro. Not only is it just like, why would you even fucking bother saying something? But it's also like, you know, dude, you're punching way too up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pick on someone your own size. This guy's a fucking master of his art at a young age and shit. That sounds like a reminder for me is what I feel like. Like, don't don't forget about it, you know, but it has nothing to do with Magnolia. It's just, like, separate as a thought. I mean, it was a complete overreaction to Magnolia, too, because I did. It's pretty mean. It, is pretty <laughs> it mean. was pretty and mean. And I did enjoy, like, uh, like lots of aspects of Magnolia. But, you know, there I was, and, and it fucking lives out there forever, and you can't take it back like that fucking, you know, pwn tweet or whatever the fuck. It, it's just, where, yeah, it's like herpes. You carry it forever. So, um, you know, and I've talked about many times since then, like what an idiot that guy is meaning Kevin Smith, and, but I have never like went back and rewatched Magnolia. Maybe I did a few years ago or something. I can't, I think I did. And I was like, yeah, it works. But I, I couldn't remember much about it other than mm -hmm. Tom Cruise and Jason Robards right. and the frogs. Which was where I was like, you know, and also I think that's what like pushed me over the edge where I'm like, all right, so 
the fucking frogs in this movie. Like people are talking about the biblical fuck. I'm like, I just made a whole fucking biblical movie, bitch. Like he's got one scene with frogs. I got Metatron. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I was competitive, little uh, bit bitchy dickhead. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I say to Jen, I'm like, do you remember anything about Magnolia? She's like, yeah, a little bit, but not a lot. And I was like, Sh- I feel like we should watch that before we watch Licorice Pizza. And she was like, all right. And so we settled in to watch Magnolia, which I forgot was a three hour motion picture. It's a long. It's an epic film. It's big. Very big. Um, and, uh, you know, nobody's going to be surprised by this one iota. Uh, but I cried. Oh. An awful lot. An got, awful lot. I got so emotional. I mean, you got to remember our dog, Marty, was doing the Jason Robards oh. right at that moment in time. So there he is laying in the bed, dying by inches and breaths. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I didn't have the same relationship with Marty that, uh, Jason Robards or Tom Cruise had with, I hope not, <laughs> with uh, Jason Robards. But when somebody, yeah, you know, is dying in front of you and stuff, and there it is being dramatized, and you know, Jason Robards has a voice and can mm-hmm. tell you about his regrets, and you're just looking at the dog who's like, he gives the most oh intense monologue. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, and you're the talks that we've had, I'm like, I gotta put this in again because there are some it's worth it. There's some spin. weird, subtle Easter eggy threads that go through it, like the tail of the worm, like mm-hmm. this whole thing that's going on that are actually like deleted scenes and it, it's a very, very epic, cool thing. And I understand what you're saying about like why the religious aspects they're so like, you know, no, no, at no. the beginning of each no, act. No, no, no. That's what young Kevin Smith said. <laughs> I will be ultra clear about that. Young. Please, dude. Young, angry Kevin Smith. <laughs> angry young man. <laughs> um, you know, it's that fun stuff where, you know, I know how this will sound. When me and my best friend David uh, first got into Clerks, we were watching it over and over again. <coughs> and I specifically remember a sleepover where we watched it maybe the second or third time that night. Mm. And we looked up, we brought a dictionary down and looked up every single word and had a great time. And I feel like Magnolia. That's how I came up with those words. When I was driving, we, me and Scott and Dave were driving into the city to drop off the titles to get made. Cause you had to go to a titles company and stuff. Now you just do it on an avid, right? But back then you had to deliver it to a titles company because they would line up the writing and then shoot it, photograph it. Mm -hmm. So we were coming up with all the credits. In that car ride is where we decided I was the director. <laughs> like, I tr- I tried to pull Scott into it. I was like, why don't we, you be the co-director? And he's uh-huh. like, because I didn't really do that. He's like, you worked with the actors and shit. It was all your idea. And you framed it. Really? He's going, you know, I was like, what about producer? He's like, well, all right. Yeah. He's going, I feel like I produced. Scott had no idea what his role was on Clerks while we were making it. It was ill-defined. And then when That's we crazy. were driving to the city, I was like, you're, I'm, Dave's role is very clear. He's a cinematographer. My role was clear. I'm the director. But I was like, well, Scott, you you were there with me the whole time. So aren't you like co-director? But Scott's thing was like, I didn't. You worked with the actors for like a month before I even got out there. Mm-hmm. I, You know, like I we shot everything the way you wanted to shoot it. Um, he's going, you're the director. I was like, all right. Um, so that's just me. I was always looking for a friend. If you look at all the movies, you know, Dante Randall, Jane Silent Bob, sure. Banky and fucking Holden. T.S. and Brody. I was always just looking for like that partner in fucking crime. Yeah. So I was like, be the fucking director with me. And Scott was, 
wonderful enough to be like, look, I want to be a director, but I did not direct this. Sure. Um, but I would like the producing credit, which he did. And backed into the role of producer and did it for like fucking a dozen years, yeah. which was not his aim. He wasn't like, I'm going to go film school, produce movies, let alone Kevin Smith movies. Um, now we see he's directing. Like he directed the Grinch, co-directed Grinch Kill movie. And now he's about to do the fucking Weibo movie for Warner Brothers, I think. He did a fabulous documentary too. Oh, um, he's big in docs and been in docs the for a minute. Death Doc, mm, which is big for me because I'm from Vermont. Oh, so. the Fox, so you knew that. Yeah, and those guys, I think it's Lamb's Bread. Mm. Um, my brother like parties with those dudes and all that shit. Yeah, it's, it's really you, fun. Fucking, with you with the connections. Why oh are you? God. Why are you out here in Hollywood, bro? When you're fucking connected in Vermont? Oh my god! Because you know I'll Bernie? always be. You know Bernie? Yes. Do you? I mean, not personally, but he lived down the street from me. <laughs> are you serious? Dead ass. Yeah, I've shook his hand in my uh, shul when I was a kid. <laughs> He talked at my synagogue, and I shook his hand, and then- I'm um, being a facetious asshole, and you're like, I literally just lived down the street was, from Bernie yeah, Sanders. Yeah, I went to school with Howard Dean's kid. Vermont like, is a small place, It's very it? small, and it's also like there's a city, and that's where I'm from. What's the city? <coughs> Burlington. <coughs> Burlington. Yeah. Like the co-factory. Yeah. You got to get there, man. Um, get I've, been to, I've been, been to- Oh, many times. Oh, good. I've done shows there. Uh, last time I was there was the Reboot Road Show tour. Oh, you did that there. Mm. Beautiful. I believe so. Do you remember the, if venue? it was at the Flynn Theater? I can't remember the venue. Okay. Let's bring it back to PTA so we Sorry. don't lose the audience. They're like, I don't give a fuck about Kevin Smith. Anyone <laughs> give a fuck about Vermont. <laughs> some people are. Some people, some people would. I mean, someone look, is gigging out right now. Right That's now, true. they're just like, oh my God, I too live down the street from Bernie Sanders. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I loved Magnolia uh, much, much more obviously than I did when I wrote those things, um, back in, in the year 2000. So 21 years later, 20, you know, almost 22. Yeah. Uh, the, the brink of 22, I revisited the movie and, um, loved it so very much. And here's what I come up with. Yeah. There was like, uh, what a jealous bitch young Kevin Smith was, but young Kevin Smith is not, um, let's, how do I put this? I grew up in a big Catholic family. Mm -hmm. So I went to a lot of fucking funerals, but of relatives that were like my, my mom and dad's uncles and shit like that. Mm -hmm. Like older people who I didn't really fucking know, or we saw once a year. So I, I really wasn't like familiar with grief. You know, I had my heart, quote unquote, broken and shit in high school or whatever the fuck. But like, I had never lost anybody close to me, mm -hmm. you know, and even when my, my grandmother died in like 1997 and I was close to her, but like I'd already started the film journey. So I was already kind of out in the world and whatnot. And she'd been wanting to go for like 12 years, 12 years. She was blind and she was like, I'd go over her house and I'd be like, Hey, Graham, what's up? Cause we used to play cards all the time. <clears throat> but she couldn't after she couldn't see couldn't do anything couldn't cook couldn't crochet she just sat there and she'd be like uh well i keep asking him to take me but he won't come he won't take me i was like Ooh. and she's like jesus i keep asking him to take me home and she just sat there for 12 years waiting to die so fucking sad um so my my grandma who i grew she grew we were right around the block from her growing up so very close relationship 
Um, I wouldn't say we had a multi-generational household like my kid grew up in. Like my kid had two sets of parents, me and my wife and my wife's parents because mm-hmm. they've always lived with us. Um, but we, you know, they lived right around the block, my grandparents. And so very close relationship. That all being said, when my grandmother died, I wasn't like grief stricken. I was like, well, she was 86 or 88. Right. My God, she she wanted to go for a long fucking time. Like, I get it. So I've, you know, I watch that movie now and I know grief. I've lost people that I love. Um, and, and when I say people, I include fucking animals in that list. I know some people be like, you're an asshole, but it's like, if you've never had a pet, you don't understand. It is literally like having a child, particularly yeah. if you raise that pet from pup to the end, suddenly a fixture in your life. The best possible kid. One, don't don't fucking talk back. <laughs> and they're fun. Like suddenly, you know, you, they're 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 just gone. And that's family. I don't give a fuck what people say. So I, I like as I was grieving what I knew was coming, we knew that Marty was going to, you know, have an appointment. The doctor was going to come to our house. We knew we were getting Marty filet mignon the night before and the morning of, Mm -hmm. like, the day before that. And that's when we were watching Magnolia. So when I'm watching Jason Robards die in the movie and I'm looking at my dog, who I know is fucking not going to – she's going to see one more morning, maybe two – no, two more mornings and then that's it. Uh, That's grief, son. And that movie – and I'm a big grief junkie. Like, I fucking loved WandaVision for that very reason. Sure. Oh my God. It was, so, it was grief porn, man. I love when people are sad. Not, not, I don't like to make them sad, but I love stories about people that are heartbroken that have to get over things and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why. I've always loved it. It was always a very romantic notion, even before I was acquainted with the notion of what true grief was. But I was into movie grief, you know, like, oh, my heart's been stolen or, oh, she died and fucking she'll never live again. Melodrama. Melodrama. Thank you. Paul Thomas Anderson presents in Magnolia adult grief. And I was, even though I I was 29 when I watched the movie, I was not yet an adult. I was still an infantilized fucking teenager who got a career at an early age. So what did I know? about being an adult. One of the reasons you don't see me fucking mouthing off about politics and how the world should be run. I, you know, I ain't normal. I get it. Like mm-hmm. from an early age, somebody was like, here, you got a fucking ticket out of this bullshit. You don't have to work. You don't have to struggle. I mean, your work, you were going to do anyway. And you're never going to have to wake up and be like, how am I going to fucking feed my family and shit? You're going to be able to feed your family by saying, Fuck. Right. Think about that. So, like, when it comes to that, I don't feel the need to tell people how the world should be run. I don't work in the real world. I live in fucking fantasy. I literally live in fucking fantasy land now. So, at that point, like, as I watched Paul's movie the first time, I was, like, literally still a kid. Even though I was 29. Even though I had a child of my own. I was not mature. Like, think about it. You know, you, you can point to Chasing Amy and be like, that's a grown-up movie. But it's like, yeah, but it's a grown-up movie about a guy. He's Tony Stark. He created his own problem and he solved it. He's like, I'm a dick. And now I'm not a dick. You know. Learn some lessons. Yeah. And that's kind of what life's about. But so I was in a much better position to receive that movie. Sure. Doesn't change the fact that the movie was great then. It's not like, and now it's good because I grew up. It was great then. 
I just couldn't see the greatness because I couldn't identify with grief. Now I can identify with grief and that movie, I will go to that movie more often than I have in my entire life. I will watch Magnolia again before the year ends as my prediction, because there are some parts of it that are so fucking sad. And I love that shit, dude. I mean, you see me, I post pictures of me crying. I love to fucking cry. I mean, every thread in that movie has something gut wrenching. My whole thing, I, you know, I, I always want to watch Can it. I, well, you know, let me amend that. Keep going. I don't love to cry. I love to cry at art. Same. It's very specific. I don't love to cry like in the real world and shit. Because generally, if you do, it's because something heartbroken happen, heartbreaking happens or something you can't fucking fix. Like you see fucking yeah. homeless problem and you're like, ah, oh, I ain't talking about that crying. I don't like that crying. It's, it happens. But like, that's not my fucking porn. My porn is like, I'm watching a movie or a fucking TV show or listening to a song. I love songs about people that are like bereft and brokenhearted. Uh-huh. And I have no real identity factor with them. Like I don't, you know, I went through typical high school breakups and shit like that, but I'm married for over like 20 years. Like I don't, there's not one that got away. <clears throat> I'm still fucking the one. So it's like, she I, likes you too. Seems to dig me enough to like, keep this shit going. From a third person perspective. Yeah. It, it, doesn't seem a way. There's an insider perspective right there. But <laughs> no beard. That one. That's what Jake's saying. But like, you know, so I don't have like, oh, I love this because I went through this. I don't know why. It's just my fucking kink. Like, I, like that's what does it for me. I, funny things don't do it for me because, and I don't, I don't want this to sound arrogant or gross, but I can make myself laugh. Right. Just by having conversations with my fucking friends. I get that shit for free all the time. That's not impressive to me. Impressive is like, you know, fucking making a motherfucker's mood change, drawing an emotion out of somebody with lies, bro. I mean, that's all a movie and a TV show and a song is, even if they're biopics or biopics, it's all fucking lies. And if you can manipulate, that's magic words right there. If you can manipulate the audience like that and make me a guy who's sitting down, a guy who's seen behind the curtain and literally knows how movies are fucking made and shit like that. And you could still fucking sucker me. You could still take me to a different fucking place. You could, these fuckers could have been charging me so much more for movies my whole life. The way that people play, like, I'll pay a thousand dollars to fly to Egypt. I pay you a thousand dollars. You make a fucking movie that makes me fucking cry. You charge me more than the standard 10 fucking bucks. Like, if it brings that out in me, man, like, that's a beautiful, beautiful emotion that I've always leaned into from childhood. Based on nothing. It's not based on like when I was a kid, I was broken or I lost my parents. I'm Bruce Wayne. Not at all. My parents right. like were happily married, stayed married. I used to watch my mom. Oh, sh- my. You have a phone call soon. Yeah. At What time is it? It is noon right now. That's what that alarm was. Wait, what is the phone call? The phone call is the Peacock phone call. That's been moved. That's been moved. You didn't get that information. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it there. Yeah. Copy you. Well, that's what that was. I'm sorry. It was interrupt. an alarm for that. That was the alarm for yeah, that. Yeah, no, the only that was the only thing I really had on the schedule today Ugh. until Leron. Leron lands at noon, and then he comes to the house. But it before is that, right it's noon now. So Leron should be here in the next hour. I'm going to so. turn off these alarms so that they don't go but off. Good. Well done. But uh, but so. the 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 other thing got moved. They had to move it, not us. So okay. anyway, back Great. to this. So I'm I'm fucking dumbfounded by how much I love this movie, Magnolia. And, you know, I'm crying through it. My wife is just like, 
you know, what did you write about it? And I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just eating fucking shit, but I don't care because it moves me and anything that moves me gets my fucking approval. Yeah. Moves me to tears. If it moves me in a way where, and, and very few things do, like where I watch a thing where, and it makes me, you know, like upset and not upset because it's like the content, but just like, come on, what the fuck? You know, like, yeah, that don't happen too much anymore. I just, I probably don't engage with as many things that I turn might it off, dry the reaction. Yeah. Dry the reaction. That's the thing we say in this house all the time. We always read the, should we watch it? And we struggle over it for a few minutes and we're like, we'll watch it. And if we don't like it, we'll turn it off after fucking 20 minutes. Yeah. I'm like, good point. All right, let's dive in. And it found many wonderful things that way. So that all being said, the stage is set to watch licorice pizza because I've now watched Magnolia and I'm like, oh my God. I mean, I always knew Paul was a great filmmaker, but I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, my old white whale from the late nineties, early aughts. What a horrible way to begin the 2000s. No wonder shit went all downhill. Um, you know, you can it, draw a direct line. Oh my God, totally. <laughs> I'll show you a Venn fucking diagram or a flow chart <laughs> of that comment to like fucking hear, hear me sitting here podcasting for a living. 2016. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I've, I go and watch licorice pizza with the wife and the two, uh, one of the best first things I, can say about this movie that i thought was one of the best aspects was it's cast like an like an episode of degrassi <laughs> you know what i'm saying like yeah. all the leads look like normal ass fucking people right the one who's the lead boy uh cooper hoffman cooper hoffman who i'm watching oh the whole God. movie and i'm like where'd he find this normal ass motherfucker this is young kevin smith as if i was doing a biopic of kevin smith i'd fucking cast this guy and the end of the movie, Jennifer goes, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid. And I was like, what? And she was like, she just looked it up because she too was like, wow, this kid's impressive. It's a real family affair. Oh. The whole movie is a real family I'm affair. I'm glad I didn't know that going in though. Good. Because I, I just got to perceive this guy as an actor and not like, he's the fucking son of one of my favorite actors. It's one of the only things I knew about the film. I didn't know shit about it except the title and that he owns the valley right now. I go to the valley a lot. You cannot avoid liquor. I've pizza. never seen a movie poster where the director's name is above the title without a credit. It just says Paul Thomas Anderson, licorice pizza, as though he's Nicolas Cage or something <laughs> like that. It, it's, I've never seen it before, and I'm sure it's only here, but um, that's a new goal. <laughs> director's rock star. Um, the cast <clears throat> is uh, not just like uh, real looking, which is what I was extolling the virtues of. They look like real ass people. Yeah. You could get so fucking easily lost in the story because you're not like, well, you know, I saw him in star Wars mm -hmm. and her. Now I understand she's like a musician. So perhaps the whole family is whole families and her sisters are in the movie and her parents, and her parents as yeah, well. That's why I saw that in the credits. <laughs> so, you know, one, if you were a big fan, like my friend, Malcolm Ingram's a huge fucking, what is it called? Heim. Heim fan so that's why he wants to go see licorice pizza okay. he's like i fucking love him he went to see him in concert a couple times I, you know i i'm aware that they were artists but i i'm not i couldn't tell you a song exactly so i didn't go in with a prejudged notion of like you know who she thinks she is the singer you know i'm like this motherfucker's an actress that motherfucker's an actor and they look as real as raincoats yeah. they, like they don't look 
Hollywood at all. And he shot this fucker in the valley. And there are Hollywood fucking people in it. Like Bradley Cooper, one of the most famous fucking people on the planet, whether he's himself or a fucking raccoon. Uh, and he's in the movie playing John Peters, which I didn't fucking know until you brought it up. Before I saw Licorice Pizza, uh, Jake was like, hey, man, did you hear? And I was like, what? And he's like, well, in there's a moment, spoilers if you haven't seen Licorice Pizza. It's not deep spoilers, it doesn't ruin the movie, but there's a moment in Licorice Pizza where the John Peters character who calls himself John Peters and describes looks him, exactly like him. <laughs> looks like him and says he is dating Barbara Streisand and <laughs> says her name at least 20 times as he tries to make the kid pronounce it. He is talking to the kid and he says, um, you know, you, we get each other. You, and I, you know what? I, fuck, where's my Luke phone? knows this line dead Here. on. I, I got it. I took a screenshot because I was like, what the fuck? I was so delighted. <laughs> Even though I knew it was coming, I was absolutely uh, delighted. And I, was, I told Jenna, I was like, I got to pause this. She was like, how did that happen? I was like, <laughs> I, I don't. I'll tell you how I think it happened. Here, God damn it. Where is that picture? And the fact that I got to tell you is one of the great delights of my life. I, I took the L on the spoiler so I could let you know because I wanted to be the one to tell you. He says, we speak the same language, huh? We're both from the streets. Now, you know, I told that fucking Superman story for years on Evening with Kevin Smith and at colleges, and it's on the internet and stuff. And I talked about John Peters. And for years, for a generation, I was the, the, the guy, the only person talking about John Peters. He was a, f a figure of yeah. fucking myth. You did How Did This Get Made and talked about it as well. Yes. Until John one. Schnepp made the documentary... Uh, the death of Superman lives what happens mm -hmm. and he fucking filmed the late John Schnapp the big big sweaty God rest his soul rest in power my big friend um, my sweaty friend um, he he made this wonderful documentary where he like literally legitimized every story I ever told about the Superman experience in talking about John Peters he put John Peters current day John Peters or then current day John Peters on camera and John Peters ex acted exactly, sounded exactly, <laughs> and said the exact same things that I said he said. Like, for fucking 10, 20 years, it was a story that I told. And a lot of people were like, nah, a couple of, you're just blowing this up, man. You're like, you're exaggerating. Nobody's that weird. And I'm like, oh, you can uh, see right now in this doc. So here's this moment in Licorice Pizza where he, the character of John Peters says, we're from the streets, which is legit something that he said to me and that i said in that story every time i told it but of course mostly on the evening with kevin smith the clip that's online that and how i as a, tw a 20 i'm 34 now uh, as a 34 year old mm. associate john peters like mostly with you in that story right like, you know you don't when you hear don't john peters know. you're not like Stars born, yeah, yeah, Batman, yeah. you know, like it's pretty much, Rain I got Man evening producer. when I was 16 for my birthday, Dave gave me that and, uh, immediately watched it. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's some epic shit. Uh, those stories I've been hearing for 20 years now. And so it's fun to be here at the tail end of that. <laughs> You're going like, wait, there's a conclusion. Dude, there's that story. some serious arc work. Going. Bring your mic even closer. Oh, sorry. There's some serious. Just bring uh, it to you. You don't have to oh, move to it. I like moving to it. Just get it as close as you need. 
Otherwise, people are going to be like, why is he so fucking low? We're learning. I'm learning. Don't. First time. To be fair, I wasn't like, this wasn't planned. We had a minute. So I was like, Jake, let's quick do a podcast. Um, the, uh, who, 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 uh, who's the, what's the girl's name? The Heim girl's name? Alana. Alana Heim. I believe. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and she did, like more of that, man. Just cast like fucking real ass looking people. Um, people that look like people. And that's not saying like she's not pretty. She's fucking stunning in a girl next door kind of valley way. Yeah. But she, you know, clearly doesn't look like most the person that Hollywood normally casts. I hear he knows the family or grew up around them. Or... That's what I'm to understand, like, that he had a crush on the mom when he was a kid and then grew up. And so, like, the fact that it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid and then, like, this whole family, he's really doing something. And I have no um, proof on this, but I've heard him talk and he was such a big fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I was like, I know... He's like, I saw that movie, like, nine times in the theater or something like that. And I just knew that, like structurally it was going to be kind of loose it like he was going to do his kind of version of that uh is what i always kind of assume once upon a time in the valley yeah but it's like also like with the severe racism and like the having to hide your love and things of the era that really struck him and but it is this it's my favorite kind of a structure where you have two main people (coughs) and then you just Go from place to place to place to place, and you can have big names be there for 10 minutes and then disappear. I love that shit. And these two guys carry this movie very, very beautifully. It meanders in in the, the most magical way. Yes. You know, this is not like a plot-driven movie where it's like, if they don't get to licorice pizza by Friday night at midnight <laughs> and lose their virginity. <laughs> Could um, you imagine? Oh, my God. What a boring um, movie that would be. The, uh, I don't know, I was just thinking, like, maybe I should write that movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> I take it back, I take it back, I take it back. Um, can't, let's talk about uh, the ending. And this is where, if you are if you haven't seen the movie, maybe you jump out of this point of the discussion. Copy. You are uh, forewarned. Spoilers, kids. Big time spoilers. We're going to spoil the ending of Licorice Pizza. So, get out. If you don't want to hear it, but this, uh, this is a conversation worth having in five, four, <laughs> three, two, one. Licorice pizza is primarily concerned about the relationship between a 25 year old, uh, woman and a 15 year old young man. Let, let's be honest, boy. Yeah. Um, and the boy is an entrepreneur and he's sharp and he's, he's smart than the average bear and he's not the average 15 year old and whatnot. And he's got a, a line and a rap, um, but he's genuinely caring. Um, he's authentic, even in his authentic, in, even in his inauthenticity because he's a salesman, but you could tell he knows he's got something special and a genuine charisma. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. An absolute genuine charisma. But again, ages 25 and 15. So yeah. it's, you know, it's being sold as a coming of age movie. And I was like, oh, well, once I got the, once she said she was like 25 or once her age was revealed, I was like, oh, it's, he's in love with an older woman. Like, I, you know, this is, they, they used to make these movies. Like, you know, it's not like a trope that hasn't been, a story that hasn't been told before. Right. 
But I was trying to fit it into a box. That's what I do when I watch a movie instantly. Like, where's this going? Put it in, try to pre-guess the narrative. Probably has a lot to do with being a writer as well. So as I'm watching it, I'm like, well, this is going to be star-crossed because, you know, he's 15 and she's 25. And in the movie, she's presented other male options. Throughout the entire movie. Yeah. It's kind of what the journey seems to be. Where you're, you're like, basically, she hangs out with him and she's fascinated by him and thinks he's funny and weird and like, all right. And they become friends. And he's in love with her. Right. And co-workers and they, they, they scheme build business together. together. Yeah. They scheme together. They have fun together. Make money together. Um, but and he's she, unabashedly in love with her. And she interacts with other, with older men who, I mean, there's a few her own age and then older men as well. And every, like, ma- there's no guy ultimately that she enjoys as much as this 15 year old kid. Right. So the movie has a very cinematic romantic ending shot. Again, here comes the fucking spoiler train. So get out five, four, three, two, one spoilers ahead. where they're running. They're walking on two different streets and wind up on the same fucking street in a very cinematic romantic way, run at each other into each other's arms and kiss. Am I, or just, I don't know if they kiss. I don't remember. Um, they might kiss. Is the the end? Indic- they definitely say "I love you." She says "I love you." And the what? All right. I read that as not like buddy and punching him in the arm. Right. I read that as a romantic, as did I, relationship. And I don't think we're wrong. No. Now I'm not. You know, fucking getting all like uh conservative about it being like a 25 year old woman a 15 year old boy this is fucking pederasty or whatever the fuck this is 1973 movie and it's a movie none right. of these people are fucking real but my point to jake was like just when something like i i really loved licorice pizza like i said like took it, it was like watching bad news bears for me and there are two movies couldn't be further part and plot but the vibe and the feel just I I relaxed into it the same way I relax into the bad news bears and probably the way I relax into the bad news bears now racism aside casual racism aside <laughs> is um, because it takes me back to my childhood where yeah. I'm like that's what the world looked like when I was a kid and licorice pizza though set in a completely different part of the country you know in a world where movie stars literally walk the streets and, and knock over garbage cans or movie producers, rather um, movie stars jump motorcycles. Yeah. Um, you know, I still recognize it just like I didn't recognize the world fully of the bad news bears because it was daylight out for so long where they lived. You know, I was like, it's seven <laughs> o'clock. Why? How is it still light out there? Um, so I, I luxuriated in this movie. I loved it. That being said, I said to Jake, I'm like, they race into each other's arms and fucking like indicate that there's going to be a relationship. And then the credits happen. Yeah. 
I'm like, no! <laughs> that, that, what? I didn't see that coming. That's, that, I did not predict that movie, and that's how you're going to end the movie? Like, no! Always a good sign if you want more. Mm-hmm. I doubt it's a movie he'll ever sequelize. Um, and it's, you know, as a filmmaker, I'm sure he's like, hey, man, you get to decide what happens to these two. He makes $100 million with it. Then they'll make a sequel for it. I don't even know. I, I don't even know if they will. He doesn't seem like that guy. He, no, he doesn't. Mm-mm. He doesn't. He's a journeyman. To be it's fair, like he moves on and fucking. You know, he did his. He did what? Bro, he how easy and low hanging fruit? And you're, you're, this is Clerks Three guy talking. Would it be for Paul Thomas Anderson to make you know, fucking Boogie Nights Two, set in the current world of porn, where fucking those characters who were young in the seventies are old and in charge now or whatever fuck like oh my god i know you know what i'm saying so easy but he don't he boogie nights resurrection <laughs> Ooh, nice clever title we're working like on your it. draft better <laughs> um it was uh yeah it was the one moment in the movie where i was like what the fuck like i i i mean i'm not saying one move moment in the movie where i didn't predict it or something but like i didn't i did not see that coming he always and i i have always romantic in a 70s kind of way also reminded me of like movies in that moment harold and maude yep uh which is my favorite movie of all time really uh it's up up there it's on my like you know i don't have a number one of all the uh on my top five kind of of all the ashby's that's where you i mean it's just it hits me yeah uh but last detail is very very special what about um, um, the landlord is very special. About being being there? there is very special. I've only seen that like once, and it's like it speaks. Sometimes movies speak too close, all right, and it's like whoa, and just kind of I like to let it kind of live where it lives. But has one of the I most mean, creepy yet innocent deliveries of a line of all time. Like I mean, yourself is like I like to watch eve right it's the original i am Groot. fucking <laughs> masturbating in front of him and he That's, watches this tv is the climax of the film <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a literal climax it's an amazing movie paul feels uh, paul thomas anderson feels like a a part of that yeah school uh, of that legacy not even like oh he's biting off ashby he feels like he could stand shoulder to shoulder he feels like he's making a movie like ashby would he just always feels like he's making a movie from a better time when people respected cinema more right it's when people say like um oh nolan's the closest thing we have to kubrick i'm like "Eh." like yes and no personally um but it is that kind of it's they're aiming for this trajectory and they i do feel like they kind of work shoulder to shoulder i just lost the thread on that one Mm-mm. i was just uh, people say that nolan nolan's trying to do kubrick yeah well, I, maybe that's just me maybe i like i mean people just, just feels love like him to me so like, much but and, that's it feels to me like nolan's trying to do nolan i don't look at his career and ever be like oh he's kind of like this guy like he's he's kind of like fair. an ang lee where it's like try to <coughs> try to pigeonhole ang lee as a director motherfucker jumps from style to style from substance to substance like there's no like oh he makes ang lee movies it's like well fucking define what that is same thing with chris nolan i i don't know what a chris nolan movie because really? he changes it every time i mean i know there are going to be certain elements that are you know yeah, i feel like there's like a there's a certain what's the word a sheen or a patina to uh other than the score 
because I mean, yeah, they're pretty uniform throughout. But <laughs> no, just like each one silvery is so. And he does do a different thing, but they're also he. Um, he's another one that I have a hard time because he doesn't throw in a lot of humor into like any of his movies. I don't mind that. He's um, got dry jokes. Fucking Michael came and cracked the joke in Dark Knight. Oh, there's always two dry jokes. Like, and I get it. You need you need to break the tension, and he's just one of those writers that's like. I don't, I don't, you can't see me, but it's kind of <laughs> a heavy hand holding a heavy hammer thunking over and over. You know what I mean? Like I, mm. this is the theme of the film. And I, I, I never, I don't know if I get that out of a Chris Nolan movie. Maybe I am making, um, maybe just I need always to readdress feels, every, every frame, every scene, everything just feels important. Like, in a way where I make movies and it feels so frivolous and everything he does just seems important. Even when it's movies where you're like, I don't know what happened, but that seemed important. Like Interstellar, <laughs> Interstellar was baffling to me where I was like, I don't know. Inter- that See, that's my important. problem with Christopher Nolan is I have a hard time with rewatchability. Interstellar is one of the weird ones. Interstellar and Dunkirk, for some reason, I can watch those guys a lot. What about fucking the Batman stuff? Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. Um, no, it's not that I, I mean, have this watched weird personal relationship with those movies. I lived in Chicago when the dark Knight was being shot. I had friends at my college that worked on that set. I heard nothing about anything else, but fucking Batman every single day, every single hour for three years. Never... And then the second the movie came out, they were like immediately talking about the next one. Who are they going to cast? And I remember being in class and being like, you guys need to stop and you need to let the man rest. <coughs> let him sleep for a fucking second before you start talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman as the Riddler in Batman 3. You've never made me want to be a, a Chicagoan, an Illinois person that is was the that Gotham to me for my generation too it's was like, this where this was happening where you were like everyone around you was stuck? where were you at this yeah time? i was in chicago. in chicago i went to columbia college chicago in the south loop just knowing that i could have sat around and talked about batman with people working on batman i'd have given up all this kevin bro. you can do that i you do can. it on podcast <laughs> no but, but you can go to any film school in the entire world and go talk about batman and everyone will want to no, no, know but talk about batman with people who worked on batman i would have been getting all sorts I heard of inside a couple good stories and shit. there was a good story from my buddy fred glander uh, uh who said that he Think twice be careful no he he saved the camera he saw um like a 18 wheeler going toward the camera and he fucking jumped in between and they stopped the the truck and he was a fucking PA and um, he said that Christopher Nolan came over to him, shook his hand, thanked him and everything like that, that kind of thing. Wow. I had a friend who is uh, another PA who's like, I just remember Heath Ledger being like skateboarding everywhere with his hoodie on with makeup, but just skateboarding everywhere, you know, like just a lot. Of, it was a it's so seminal it's so like i don't know what it is but it i mean it i'm also i'll be perfectly frank with you kevin uh, my favorite batman movie is batman forever wow well, look we'll save that for a batman show okay no i know but this is where you don't I'm, have to defend it but this is where i'm coming from where it's like ultra serious batman right, versus right, right. fucking joel schumacher doing whatever the fuck he's doing then uh, sidebar then where's your how do you feel about the Zack Snyder Batman 
for Batfleck. Uh, Batfleck, I just watched Justice League for the first time. The long one? The long one. And hold on. Hold that. We'll do a whole episode about that. Ah, you so, got to get Luke on here. Yeah, done and done. We'll <laughs> you got to get Luke on here. Um, um, that's who I'll be. Key, I'll continue to do the show with uh, kids uh, on a regular basis. Uh, we'll be doing Jake. We'll be doing Luke, Vinny Pereira when he's out here. And yeah. Um, but we're just gonna geek out on fucking film. Uh, can you call them reviews? I don't know. Um, but that fucking licorice pizza. Make time for it. Sean Penn plays William Holden. I, I, I don't know if like, I think the things we said about the movie prior to this probably sell it better than that. I don't know if anybody mm-hmm. out there is like, oh, well, now I'm well, going. Tom Waits plays John Ford. Yes. And that's that's a draw. Tom um, Waits alone is a draw. Let alone I think playing that John Ford. John Ford, is that who he's meant to play? I think so. I think he's a proxy, like a John Ford proxy. Um, the... You know, we were just talking about Network, which is another episode, um, but that's a movie that's very popular for these short performances that win awards. Uh, without giving anything away, I think the audition scene, whoever plays that the woman who's in the audition who's also in Phantom Thread, I think she should be nominated for everything because I think that scene is fucking incredible. No, hold on, hold on. What is the audition scene? They just they stay on her face and talks about, she just talks about uh, Elena's, Alana's like face. And her big Jewish nose and stuff like that. That lady. That lady. I think that scene was so good. And I and you think that's you think she should get it a, a between her and now. Cooper. Yeah, Cooper is just a the, riot. wait. But the lady who said that shit, she's only in that one scene. Just in that one scene. So you're like equating that to like the uh, fucking Lumet network where Francis Sternhagen is it? I believe, or uh, I know she's the one who won who won for she's um william holden's wife, wife. in network if beautiful that's her scene yeah um who you know has like 10 minutes in the movie but that and eight of them are that fucking scene oh and it's just unreal and and out acts everybody in motion pictures that year right she's amazing and then ned Beatty got nominated for another 10 minute scene where he just knocks it out of the park but he did one day at work and then he didn't win, but he got an Oscar nod for in it. In your estimation, the lady who goes at her about like, oh my God, you've got your, what a Jewish nose. Yeah. She could get a nod. Now that in, we're, in a world of justice. Now that we're talking about it, I that's what I thought when I watched it. Right. I no, was I'm like, not saying defend no, it. I'm I, just, no, I'm I just, trying to clarify. I love when you're not afraid to just stay on someone's face and watch someone act. Right. Like she's acting so much, but it's not overacting. Mm-hmm. She's just fucking killing it it's just what i like to see and if you know her she plays the drunk in phantom thread which i know you haven't seen but it's one of the funnier kind of sequences where they're like they don't like her and they have to make she she's so rich that they have to make her address but they don't like her personality so they don't want to make her address and uh just as far as showing up in a scene and having an extreme close-up on your face and just knocking it out of the park i i love her i should look up her name so that i can like give her proper credit um yeah good fucking here we are going like man such an asshole she she's rocks. my favorite part of the movie <laughs> i can't think of her you're name. literally campaigning for her oscar and you're like, <laughs> for I your don't know her fucking name is um phantom thread uh do you like it a lot should i watch i it? do like it a lot it's <coughs> a very very different film but i i do like it a lot i did show it to my <laughs> to my lady bones thinking that she would like it and she did not like it because she knew too many dudes that are like 
uh, Daniel Day Lewis. He's just a he's such a fucking artist. Is it Lady Bones? Is her name Bones? Her name is Hillary. I call her Bones. Bones. Um, I just didn't know if you were like my Lady Bones, like that was your nickname. Oh, that's her. funny. No, I accidentally called your her lady, my lovely comma, Bones, Bones, and I said I'm never going to do that again. Yeah, that's fucking, not a good <laughs> poor. Context. Never, 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 never. I accidentally did that on a podcast once, so lovely I was like, Bones. no, no. <laughs> so, uh, but if I just talk about you know Bones, no one knows. No one knows Very what true. I'm talking about. Like, are they putting this in order of. Uh, of their appearance, but yeah. I mean, I guess you can't just be like the lady who said just shit about Jewish noses. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> Harriet it's, Sampson Harris. And let me show me a picture when you got one, because I remember the scene. I've seen her in something else too. Well, let's. Yeah, fucking. I'm, I'm like, boy, if only I could remember. <laughs> You got, uh, the you... first titles are uh, Adam's Family Values, Nurse Betty, Memento. Um, oh, wait. American is this the lady Horror from Story. Desperate Housewives? That's a good question. I didn't watch Desperate Housewives. Scroll and see. Scrolling. Supergirl played Sinead on Supergirl. Yes. 28 episodes, Felicia Tillman on Desperate Housewives. Um, yeah. Is she a lunatic like on that show? No, she's one, but I love her yeah. as an actress. She's, she's, she's like, like Steven Root, the yeah. fucking cartilage of the business, and you don't know her name. What's her name? Wow. <laughs> we already fucking Harriet just... Sansom Harris, because that doesn't even sound familiar to me. Like, it's like this, the double, the Sansom is, 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 a, is a lot, right? So Harriet, Harriet Harris. Harriet Harris. Um, yeah, man, she's magic in all the movies and all the TV shows you ever see her in. She's just like, she's like a root where you're just like, geez, man. Like, always happy to see him. Up. Yeah. And, and never dropping the ball. Never. Um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's Seek Out Licorice Pizza. Let's talk about that title because that was a discussion we had yesterday. Sure. They never once say, I mean, spoilers, they never once say licorice pizza in the they movie. They, they don't go to licorice pizza. And I, well, so I said to Jake, I was like, what's that title about? And Jake said the original title was Soggy Bottom, which is what he tries to name the business the first time when yeah, they open up the Fat waterbed company before it becomes Fat Bernie's. Um, so uh I said, why is it so why licorice pizza? And uh Jake was like, I think there was a store in the valley called Licorice Pizza. And in the seventies. Like, what? Let me fucking Googled it. I just Googled why licorice pizza. <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> and sure enough, it was like licorice pizza was a couple record stores in the valley, circa like the seventies. And I think Jake summed it up because I was like, Why would you call it that? And he was like, I think it's kinda like Brazil. You know, yeah. just call a thing a thing, even though you like never say the fucking thing and the yeah. thing. It's the thing that inspires the thing. I've gotten shit for it in my titles when I've written things like in college. I remember someone getting really angry about it. I'm like, fuck you. It's fine. Where can they see your work? Can they see your work somewhere? Wow. You Jellyrollchicago.com. There you go. Do it again. Jellyrollchicago.com. All, all one word. And that's your site. That's me. So everything there is you. you. It links to my YouTube. Um, I got a couple of scripts on there. Um, uh oh, you just opened up the fucking door, man. People are like, all right, now we've well, heard his fucking opinions. Let's well, that's see fine. It's mostly, um, welcome to be to, fair, welcome to my world, <laughs> it's fan. I have a, an, a Hellraiser fan script that I wrote with my buddy Nate. 
my god. Which is fun and yeah. filthy. It's filthy. A lot of sex. Oh my god, it's the filthiest shit hey, that I could find. I tell you, man, that Hellraiser. When how old were you when you wrote it? A couple. It was a few years ago. <laughs> You're like in my thirties. <laughs> it's about like reverse cuckolding and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> there's all sorts of crazy shit. It's good. It's good if you know fucking i'm like i'm like you write the horror shit i want to write the perverse sex stuff because that's why i like hellraiser because it's hysterical. fucking perverse that well i remember hellraiser like i watched <laughs> i watched hellraiser with uh kim lock and my, my uh, high school girlfriend <laughs> and you know in hellraiser um the brother the wife kills the husband or lets the husband get killed by the cenobites or whatever the fuck yeah because she's fucking the brother yeah and the brother comes back to life and she starts doing yes. his bidding. Yes. So it's she a very was very sexy movie for being like full of blood, full of leather and full of chains. Clive Barker. Very Clive Barker. You know, Stephen, uh, was it Stephen King doesn't feel the need to sex shit up. He just no. makes them, you know, horror, creepy, spooky. Whatever. His sexy version is like Rebecca de Mornay in the Shining miniseries. Oh, wow. Good poll. Uh, but fucking Clive Barker, Clive Barker is yeah. like, we're gonna lay some sex in this. I remember sitting there next to Kim Locker and being so out, like in a cha- remember the scene in Chasing Amy where Holden is like, you know, so finger cuffs. What's that about? Uh, fucking like baiting her and baiting yeah. her until she breaks and shit. I remember watching Hellraiser with Kim Locker and being like, oh man, it sucks. Like I don't like that. I hate that. I hate that. Like he cheated. She cheated with his brother. Or she cheated at all. Don't you hate that? And, you know, I think she was like, wait, what's the answer here? Uh, Am I supposed to say I'll never cheat with your brother Donald? <laughs> that was before we knew Donald was gay, but right? still, like, um, yeah, that was, it, it was such a sexy movie that it created an argument between young 16, 17 year old lovers. You like this? This That was my reaction to when my ex showed me Bridges of Madison County and she said it was the sexiest <laughs> movie of all time. And I was like, but she just is cheating the whole time. Her husband works hard. I know he's boring. You got kids. Did you happen uh, to write a fanfic script sequel to that? You're so that's funny. Much sexier. No, but the other script that's <laughs> on like, my website. I let the one, my one friend took care of like, you know, the old timey dialogue. I brought the sex. Yeah, no, I go. Bridges. I go through when I write my scripts. It's like this is my funny one. This is my uh, my romantic one. This is my very violent one. This is my un my filthy, just un obscenely filthy the one. Wobbly H's. Yeah. Of Bridge, 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 <laughs> was it the, the Bridge, Madison County? Yeah. Um, and then the other fan script that I do have there, I do have some original stuff that I might take off. Um, but uh, <laughs> <You better> hurry. <laughs> uh, is a Columbo fan script that I'm very, very proud of. I wrote, a, I wrote a feature length Columbo movie. What does a um, youngster like yourself know about fucking Columbo? This is my favorite. Really? Oh my God. Don't get me started. Oh, Talk you, about well, are, are you, were you raised like fucking uh, Wanda Maximoff, like with old timey videotapes and fucking DVDs and some for, and I am the youngest of five in Sokovia. No, in Vermont, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the youngest of five. Um, I grew up on your shit in The Simpsons. What year so, were you born? 1987. Oh, The Simpsons. That'll do it. You know, and so I'm rewatching that and right I got now. The guides. Those motherfuckers are like you. Re- you forget right how much of pop culture they built. It's crazy. I know. I can talk to you about Adlai Stevenson or Lee Iacocca uh, that are judge, you know, those are my favorite kinds of jokes because I of like, the Simpsons or just because it, it, because of, I like the disposable nature of early nineties, like fucking, uh, 
jokes like that. I don't mm. know. Like it was, it's just something that tickles me for some reason. So it's that. And also, um, you know, I used to be really obsessed with the fact that my dad lived in New York in Brooklyn and Manhattan from 19. He went to high school in 1966 and graduated college in 1974. Mm. And I was like, that's just what I want before I realized that I actually want to live in the future. And so where I'm at is actually the best place. That's weird. My kid <clears throat> was always like, oh man, I wish I fucking grew up in the nineties or whatever. Fuck. And I was like, you didn't, or the eighties. She yeah. was like, I wish I grew up in the eighties and I was there for the nineties. And I was like, um, I don't know. Like you guys, I feel like you guys got it better now. You get the fuck over it. And that's why I'm like, <laughs> I'm excited because there's a lot of seventies fashion. And like, mm. that's why I'm growing out my beard and shit like that. And like people have funny hair right now. And I'm like, it's it all the very, great things about the seventies, but with phones it's and very, internet. It is a very Serpico beard you got going on. Thank you. I'm, I'm working on it. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, uh, <laughs> Serpico beard. Thank you. That it, is, it, that's like the nicest compliment <laughs> to a kid who likes 70 shit. <laughs> uh, so there it is. That's what we'll be doing. We'll be deep diving on a motherfucker in their movie. Um, this week, of course, we deep dove on Paul Thomas Anderson and his licorice pizza and Magnolia. Um, but, uh, next week we're going to deep dive on Adam McKay. <laughs> and don't look up yeah um the new patty chayefsky or sydney lumet or oh. or the new kubrick oh. or or um you know the, the the i'll be straight with you he's a guy where i'm like that's adam mckay because after you recognize his stuff well yeah um seeing anchorman in the theater was one of the greatest experiences in my life we can talk about that next time um <laughs> but uh i also like the run of movies between that and the other guys yeah there was a point where i out loud was like this guy has more funny hits than mel brooks in a row wow. i have to give him credit for what he's doing and then he started doing the big short and all this other stuff so like i'm a fan that being said when we say his name next to petty chayeske talk about butthole clenching i don't fuck like that because <laughs> that's as, like as a big network fan well as a big, you know what hold it till next week yeah <laughs> that's when you get to make your fucking case <laughs> um i did not know that fucking patty chayeski would be your trigger I, your generation I just, it's just it's unpredictable What's i have trigger his library you? i got really into him during the pandemic marty's i wrote a movie that stole the bones from marty and it's just my own movie, but it's Marty. Right. I love it. Fair enough. <laughs> Hold that thought. Uh, next week, we are going to deep dive on Adam McKay and uh, and uh, Don't Look Up, which is on Netflix right now. So if you don't want it spoiled for you next week, make sure you watch it already. Um, and if you're one of those people that's like, I ain't watching that fucking political bullshit, I personally don't find the movie very political. No. Uh, I, I, I think it is an equal opportunity offender in as much as it makes fun of literally everybody in all sides and if you're allowed to say politics aside or like you, yeah. you know uh the performances are just top-notch it's um, just an incredible cast this is you know, spoilers and we'll talk about that next week that's you're gonna hear a lot more about that <laughs> next week but just if you're there going like i ain't getting involved in this political bullshit i personally i just didn't find it political i well, we'll talk about it next week but that's just to let you know if you've been on the fence about watching it and you're like oh, i ain't gonna fucking we're going to we're going to talk about it a lot. Yeah. And the things to talk about like ironically aren't you know 
right, left, fucking them, us. I, I just want to talk about this man as a comfort food maker. Yeah, there's a lot of movie stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Because um, I'm a big short fan. Um, I ain't no little fan of the big short. Thank you very much. We're ending with dad jokes. From a guy that had the edge with fucking jizz mopper material on IMDb that attracted a young fucking uh, would-be filmmaker to a guy making dad jokes in front of the same would-be filmmaker who's like, how'd I get roped into this shit? <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> I am thinking that, but yes. not with that tone in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Where is the uh, address they can find your stuff again? JellyRollChicago.com. JellyRollChicago.com. Uh, if you want to look at Jake's stuff, if you want to look at my stuff, I'm doing my show Wake and Bake five days a week now, Monday through Friday at that Kevin Smith Club. And we're doing some cool things. Come on over to that Kevin Smith Club dot com, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there it is, kids. Uh, that uh, that is episode one of Film School Fridays uh, for this week. I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Jake S. Weissman. And you just been schooled. <laughs> This has been a Smodco Internet Production. Sip. Only at Smodcast.com.